0: Welcome to the Going Upcast, your weekly feel-good podcast with music, stories of the latest PAX convention, I went to a wedding, and a whole lot more. I'm your host Andrew Logan, and let's dive right into it. Hey, gang! It is another fantastic episode of the Going Upcast. Apologies for missing one last week, but as I just said, I went to PAX and I was bloody exhausted. Because I had the rehearsal dinner and a wedding literal days before. Then went to PAX. This last week has been very busy. And I am prepping to go to Amsterdam um, this next week. So there won't be a new episode next week either. It's, It's all very, very much busy in the world of the Going Up cast. But it's all for a good cause me going to Amsterdam. So I hope uh, this week's uh, extra long episode will be enough to tide you guys over for for a little while. Uh, but before we get into all the fun stuff I have to talk about this week, I want to mention that if you enjoy the Going Upcast and would like to continue to support the Going Upcast, there's lots of great ways you can do that. You can go to patreon.com/goingupcast where you can um, yeah, where you can become, I'm just going to leave it in. Become a $5 patron to get access to the monthly live streams. Uh, which will this month's live stream will be held upon my return from Amsterdam most likely on the uh, last weekend of September I would say the 20th and the 29th would probably be the uh, the kindest for my psyche because if we did it the weekend after I got back I might go insane um, but you know what, who knows it could be the 22nd uh, or the 23rd one of those days uh, but keep your eyes peeled on the Facebook page in particular if you are um, a Patreon supporter and obviously on Patreon I will let you guys know when the next stream will be. Or you can go to gardencast.com uh, forward slash store where you can get a custom audiobook reading of your choice or a fantastic mystery book, which could be literally anything, for the low low price of 9 99 And let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. So, as I said at the beginning of this podcast, there will not be a new episode next week. And the reason being for that is because I'm going on a trip. I'm going on a trip to Amsterdam, which is a place I have never been before. At the time of recording this, I haven't really figured out what the fuck I'm doing in Amsterdam. Like the first couple of days are pretty well planned out. Um, Like I land, I hop on the train to go to the town called Tilburg, which is an hour and 20 minutes south of Amsterdam and that is where my first hotel is. The reason I'm going to Tilburg is because that is where I'm going to see Arion, which is like my all-time favorite prog metal band, um, perform my favorite album of theirs live. That's the basis of the entire trip is to go and do that. Uh, and I'm very, very excited about that. And I think we're also going to um, Eifling, which is the largest amusement park in the Netherlands. And when I say we, I'm going with my buddy Evan, um, who is currently in Europe right now and i will meet him in amsterdam like i think he lands like an hour after i do so i'm just going to hang out in the airport until he um until he's like you know off his plane and then we'll we'll meet up and then hit the uh hit the road most likely i plan on having like my backpack and my carry on and that's it um just to keep it light while i move from city to city and stuff like that and it should be pretty good after the concert that sunday we need to take the train back into or i need to take the train back into um into Amsterdam so I can get to my hotel there which is called the lake hotel which is near the Amsterdam forest and after that it's pretty much whatever I know I'm 15 minutes away by car I believe from um Amsterdam like city center where all the cool shit is and so I'm probably just gonna wander the city eat food as I like feel like it um that kind of stuff uh, spend some time in the Amsterdam forest because I am, like, right next to it. I know my hotel either rents kayaks and stuff or there's a, a place inside the forest that rents kayaks and does all that kind of stuff and, like, bikes and mopeds and stuff like that. So I'm probably just going to spend some time just kind of exploring the the area around Amsterdam. Um, to be perfectly honest, outside of just, like, wandering the streets of the city, there isn't much within Amsterdam that currently appeals to me as, like, I just, like, as a person. Um, like... You know, I enjoy art as much as anybody, but I'm not flying 3,000 miles or whatever the fuck to go sit in a museum. That doesn't that doesn't interest me very much. So, I'm just going to go and eat the food and experience the culture. Probably talk to some people and just see what there is to see. I want to go out to, like, to Harlem where the windmills are and go take a look at those and that sort of stuff. That appeals to me more than, um, than the museums do. So, I'm very, very excited about all those stuff. Um, I need to look up things like how I'm actually getting around Amsterdam. If I, like, can use taxis or Uber or uh, if I just want to, like, rent mopeds and just figure it out. You know, that sort of stuff. And it should be should be pretty good. And then I fly home on Thursday. So that means there won't be any new, you know, chapters next week either. But that makes sense because we are finishing uh, book seven of Harry Potter tomorrow. And then when I get back, we're going to start Game of Thrones and stuff like that. But the trip should be, should be very good and I'm very excited about it. Um, like today I'm going to pack and all that stuff and hopefully hammer out the finer details of my trip and figure out how exactly I'm moving around the country. Cause I think once I figure that out, then the rest of it will fall into line pretty like quickly. Um, like if Uber is an option and I can just do that, then I'm going to do that. You know, that's just kind of what I'm thinking. And then it'll just be decision making from there about where I want to go and how I want to get there and so on and so forth and spare no expense, that sort of deal. But uh, it should be it should be very exciting. And I can't wait to tell you guys all about it. But I just want to let you guys know in greater detail why there won't be an episode next week. Because I'll be in Amsterdam. But there's going to be one hell of an episode when I get back about talking about all the shit I did in Amsterdam. But for now, let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. And just like that, it is the end of another PAX Prime event. I've gone to PAX fucking... 10 times, I've lost count. I've been to many packs, many packs I, many packs Primes. I remember when it used to be called PAX West and now it's called PAX Prime because it was the first PAX. And if you don't know what PAX is, it is a gaming convention, uh, a fairly big one, I would say, it spans several buildings, several floors, uh, usually has representation from all the heavy hitters of the gaming industry. And many, many, many young, up and coming studios that this is kind of like their big shot to get people and the public eye aware of their game and to get excited for it. And for me, predominantly, it is uh, well, I've gone through many um, different opinions of packs throughout the years. Back when I made YouTube videos, I saw it as a proving ground where I could talk to developers about their game and their craft figure out what makes them tick when it comes to their games and figure out what games are coming out down the pipeline that I will be interested in playing for like let's play purposes and stuff like that. And nowadays in my advanced grizzled age, I like to think of PAX more as just a just a fun place where I can go get merchandise I can't get anywhere else um, and take a look at what's coming down the pipeline that I will enjoy for myself not for the entertainment of others necessarily. It's it's really kind of changed and become something that I'm like, what games do I want to play that I won't necessarily play for, you know, videos and stuff like that. And this time at PAX, I only went the one day, I only went on Monday because um, I had the uh, the wedding. Over the weekend, which you will either have already heard about or will hear about soon. I don't know where it'll fall in terms of the podcast, uh, but throughout this podcast, you'll hear about a wedding. Um, and I went to PAX. I went to PAX on Monday, uh, went to uh, the convention with a uh, co-worker of mine, and we actually met up with several other co-workers um, after PAX and got dinner and stuff like that. Um, overall, the, the showing of this year's PAX was... I, I, I hesitate to say it wasn't good, because there were many games there, n- just not many of them appealed to me. So, it wasn't a bad packs, but it just wasn't my type of game. Like, Microsoft was not there in, in, in a, like, an Xbox capacity. There were Microsoft games there, Mixer was there, which is Microsoft's streaming platform, Those were there, but Microsoft themselves, like, the big Xbox-Sony booth thing that we usually see was not there. Um, Sony was there, in it's, um, pretty classic, um, showing. It, It was focusing on the Predator Hunting Grounds game, which looks like complete dog shit to me. It looks like the game was based off of an engine for, like, Medal of Honor from 2007, like it doesn't look like a modern shooter it looks like an old school shooter and if that's what they're going for then that's fine but i don't know it just doesn't appeal to me um they had other couple of games they had the the figure where you go look at um death stranding stuff and i went and saw that that video and it was the same footage they showed at gamescom i think like two weeks before uh where like the dude peeing and uh del toro and stuff like that uh but what the video Pack showed me that I don't think the Gamescom footage did was that it actually kind of explained what Death Stranding is all about. You play Norman Reedus who is either brother or friend or colleague to the president who has been kidnapped in what is our version of like San Diego. I forget what they call it but essentially what you have to do is you have to take this weird floaty dog tag from DC to San Diego, across the country, hitting these various checkpoint cities across the nation in order to connect the strands of the nation and unify the people who have been since divided. It's not the United States anymore. It's like the United Cities of America. Everything's like a city state. So that's the goal of the game. And by removing the ambiguity that that game was showing us with these random kind of ephemeral dead bodies, And this ghost baby that's tied to this chick. And you've got a baby on your chest. And you have to pee to make the baby hat. I don't know what the fuck was going on. Like, that ambiguity, I think, was actually helping the game a lot. Because a lot of people, including myself, were going to buy this game just to find out what the fuck it was all about. Because we didn't know. It was so, like, what the fuck is this? I don't even know. But now I know. It appears to just be kind of like a cross-country trek with a big dumb backpack and a baby tied to your chest. So you can hit various checkpoints to save the city, and I'm just kind of like, eh. As if, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'll probably watch other people play it, um. But it's it was a little too weird for me at first, and now it's a little too. Oh, okay. It's a little honestly a little disappointing that I find out that's what it's about. I'm sure it's gonna be executed great. Kojima knows what he's doing when it comes to video games, but I's not that's not, not my alley, so I'm probably not gonna play that one um let's see what else was there um tiny built house studios i think the guys from secret neighbor were there in force uh they had several games they were showing off um and what pleased me about those games was the appearance of different engines for those games and I'm like, that's pretty impressive to have your studio at such a point where you can come out with like five completely different games with completely different art styles built in different engines. That's that's impressive. That's very impressive. Um, and they, they were interesting because on the day I was there, if you played any of their games, you could get like this two foot tall plushie of the secret neighbor, which they were selling at the booths for like 20 bucks. But my guess is they had an excess of them and they just wanted to get rid of them so they were like okay you play any of our games you get a bunch of free shit that you don't have to spend money for and so like fucking everywhere people were just carrying around these giant toddler looking plushies of this terrifying neighbor and i'm just like why did all these people buy this they didn't buy it they were given it for free which is makes much more sense the indie mega booth uh was good as usual um I didn't play many games in there because honestly none of them really appealed to me again like the whole floor. Monster Hunter was there with Iceborne, Destiny 2 was there with its new shit, Final Fantasy 7 remake was there. Um but it was the same demo that they showed us at oh god, what was that? E3? I think it was the same demo they showed at E3. Um like you could just play it. And um well, I'm very pleased that Final Fantasy 7 is a thing. And I recognize that a lot of people are going to be very, very happy with the remake and are thrilled that it's coming about. Like, I might get it, but probably not. You know, I'm just kind of indifferent because much like Zelda and Mario and Final Fantasy, I did not play these games when I was a child. So there's not a whole lot of nostalgia for me. It's just like, does it look like an interesting game as it sits? And the answer is not really. Um, Not for me, at least. But who knows? Again, I'm very happy that it's a thing, and I know a lot of people are very excited about it. Final Fantasy XIV was there. Uh, As I mentioned before, Mixer was there. Google Stadia was there. And that kind of confused me, because what that booth's presence said to me was that in a controlled environment with kick-ass internet, Google Stadia works. And my response to that is, of course it fucking does. But not everybody's gonna have this controlled environment. Not everybody has that consistent internet. And I don't think it's gonna work. And I was very, very surprised that they had a presence there at all. Um, it's, it will be interesting to see how that whole thing unravels. But that that definitely caught me by surprise. Um, some of my favorite uh, game booths were relocated from the main expo hall floor to the sixth floor in the same building, uh, where that's actually probably my favorite part of the convention the 6th floor of the building cuz while it's in the same expo hall like in terms of actual physical architectural building it's less trafficked it's better lit um the games are it's like a giant indie mega booth all on its own uh and i and i very much enjoy that double fine studios was up there with psychonauts 2 um Ya club games was there with its brand new 15 different games involving shovel knight which fucking more power to them. i love shovel knight I've got so much Shovel Knight merch. It might be the the single like I have more stuff for that game than like fucking any other game probably. Shovel Knight. I've got like the plushies. I've got the sweatshirt, the, like the Christmas sweater. I love it. It's super good. It's fantastic. I have all the games. Like it's. I love Shovel Knight, and I always love swinging by that booth. Feels like I'm coming home. Where I'm just like, oh Shovel Knight, you guys are the best. Um, but I I very much enjoyed the sixth floor. Up there was a studio named Finji. F-I-N-J-I, I believe it is. Um, which is a... Uh, let's take a look real quick so I can actually tell you exactly where they're from. Uh, let's see. Founded by Adam Saltzman. It's an American indie video game. Um, oh, that's no, Adam Saltzman. He is, uh, he is American. Uh, I guess the, I guess Finji Studios is also American. I could have sworn it was Swedish or something like that. But there's a game... ...that they are working on called Tunic. It was originally called Secret Legend. It is... um, I'm just going to read you the little uh, plot thing here. Tunic is played nominally in an isometric view... ...allowing the player to maneuver their character... ...an anthropomorphic fox around the game's world... ...interacting with objects and fighting enemies. And if uh, if necessary, the player can switch to a more top-down view in combat. It's structured similarly to The Legend of Zelda. So this game's... The fox's walk cycle is adorable um all the in-game diet like audio not audio um text all the in-game text like reading maps and signs and stuff like that are in this weird runic language so you don't really know what it says which is similar in my head to like a dark souls game where the the story is kind of told to you through gameplay and it's not really like once upon a time there was a fox it's not like that and throughout the demo You pick up a stick and use that stick to fight slimes and then you get a sword and a shield and your little fox is all kitted out and then you go through this door and this big kind of like ancient robot looking motherfucker a la Breath of the Wild comes out and completely wrecks your shit like a Dark Souls boss. It's like two hits and you're done and you're dead and that's it and the demo ended and I went, whoa, all right sit up paying attention for this shit i liked that game so much i now have a finjin studio shirt it's super soft and it's got this picture of like a crowned weasel on it and it's adorable and i love it so that game's probably my my game from pax tunic look for it i think it's going to be a winner i very much enjoyed it i love the look of it i loved the lighting engine i loved the way it played i loved the fact that it was like you target you strafe you dodge you block very Dark Souls, just in that kind of top-down, isometric view that you would see in, like, Diablo 3, or um, or even Legend of Zelda. It, uh, it definitely has that feel to it. Um, I very much enjoyed that game. And then I played some games which, in my head, fall into that plagiarism view. Not to disparage these games, but I've played these games before. The first game was called, like, Path of Epoch, I believe, something like that. It's similar to the Path of the Exile. It's straight up, it's Diablo 2. The way the inventory system is designed, the way the combat is done, the way you move your character, the way you activate your skills, it's Diablo 2. It's just a more fleshed out version of Diablo 2 with this weird time travel mechanic. Like, you start out in, like, ancient times, and then you defeat a boss, and you click, like, a stone. And all of a sudden, you're thrusted, like, 200 years in the future into a completely different time period. Um, Which I'm sure has interesting in-game mechanics, but in the brief PAX demo I got my teeth into, couldn't really experience how they are going to use that. I believe it's in, like, open beta right now, so you can probably go check it out. But that was that was really interesting. And then I played a second game, which I can't remember the name of it. But what caught my attention about it was that it the, the character... Like, it was this chick with, like, blonde hair and this blue armor suit. She looked like Mega Man. She looked like Mega Man with Zero's hair. I'm just like, this is... She looks like Mega Man. And so we sit down at the booth and I pick up the controllers. And I start playing it. And I'm like, I can charge my bolt just like Mega Man X. You know, I can... I can wall jump just like in Mega Man. I can dash just like in Mega Man. And I'm sitting here playing this game and the, the developer walks over and goes like, so are you familiar with like action RPGs? And I'm like, well, I'm familiar with Mega Man and this is Mega Man. So yes, I'm very familiar with your game. And he goes, yeah. And what's different about this um, then uh, to Mega Man is that it was a procedurally generated roguelike game. So there's like a hundred plus bosses in the game. And each map is completely different than what it would be, you know, it's like, it's a completely different game each time you play it, randomizing enemy locations and the bosses you face and the order in which you face them. Um, but it was just, it was Mega Man. Even like the door loading screens was Mega Man X. Like it was smooth screen transitions whilst going through the levels. But the second you hit the box, boss door, the whole thing pauses. And then the frame just like shifts to the right. And then you go into like the little uh, boss fountain room where you can get some health and stuff by spending scrap. And then it shifts to the left again or whatever. And then the whole thing slides over and you face the boss. And it was fucking Mega Man. Not that that's a bad thing. Mega Man's a great game. But, you know, there was, it was blatant. It was very blatant. Um, I met Patrick Rothfuss. I uh, didn't really have much to say. Um, he seemed He was a lovely man. Uh, he was just kind of there at a booth that said Patrick Rothfuss and you could like buy and sign books and stuff like that. Acquisitions Incorporated was there in force. Like Acquisitions Incorporated was like the main draw of the whole convention was, was D&D stuff. And D&D tabletop stuff had a bigger front here than I've ever seen at PAX. If it wasn't a video game, it was tabletop gaming. Like eight different booths selling artisanal dice there were all these people selling the trays and the dice towers and minis and maps and all sorts of crazy shit and i loved it i loved how it was like this is now a really big thing like wormwood gaming the guys that make the tabletop um dice trays and uh hero vaults for critical role and they also made like their table, their playing table, had a huge booth and a completely different building. Wormwood was there in in a major way, and I love that. I love that this renaissance of tabletop gaming is kind of taking the forefront of conventions like this. It was awesome, and you could like go and play these tabletop games in areas on the floor, and it was it was awesome. I loved it. There's this company called Gamer Mats, which make like those like Magic Gathering play mats that people use when playing the card games um but I kind of want one just for like my desk in general so I'm going to look at that later. I recall there being one of like a giant armored corgi with like this person riding on their back and I'm like, "Oh, that's cute." It was like I said, overall, it was a decent showing. Uh in terms of merchandise, I did not get a whole lot. I'm currently wearing one of the two items I actually purchased from PAX, which is this uh PlayStation uh sweatshirt that says Gamer Fuel Seattle, Washington and the the art of the sweatshirt is done in what looks like coffee stains and like the the it's like the x the triangle the circle and the square of the playstation buttons the circle of the of the playstation buttons is a coffee cup where you can see like the um skyline of seattle and it's very cool and the square has mount rainier in it and i love it i think it's it's also like an xl so it's like big and soft and fluffy and i'm wearing it right now it's amazing um but yeah pax was pax was pretty decent. Next year's PAX is gonna be off the chain because what happens next year is the PS5 and Project Scarlet from Xbox, from Microsoft. The new console generation will be shown off at next year's E3 and next year's PAX so that one's gonna be pretty crazy and I'm pretty excited about that because I'm pretty firmly in that Sony camp and I can't wait to see what they do! Sony's got my number! Fucking Persona 5 and Spider-Man and virtual reality. Let's go, Sony. I was a little worried when they announced the PlayStation 5 that my PSVR headset was going to be obsolete with the PSVR headset 2, but fortunately they have not announced such a thing, and they have stated that the VR headset that works on the PlayStation 4 will be the VR headset that works on the PlayStation 5. So I will probably get the new console and just carry over the headset, and I'm so happy that headset's going to work for another generation. Because while I've played many great games with the headset, I'm not ready to spend that kind of dosh on a brand new headset. You know what I mean? So, very excited to see where that all goes. But that is my adventure at PAX. Um, did not meet um, any, like, big YouTubers like I normally do at PAX. But then again, I wasn't there the entire weekend. So, that would do it. And, yeah, it was just, it was a good time. Game showings were pretty weak. No Cyberpunk, uh, which I was very disappointed by because I'm so, so excited for Cyberpunk. Um, oh yeah, Nintendo had Luigi's Mansion 3, Link's Awakening, and Pokémon. Um, but the lines for those games were just so absurd. I just kind of gave them a pass. Um, cuz it's like I'm getting these games. I'm buying Luigi's Mansion 3 and Pokémon and probably not uh, Zelda, but it looks adorable and I'm very I'm very happy for those people who are big Zelda fans. But I was just I don't know, it's not not really up my uh, my alley. Plus in this day and age with all this different shit that I'm working on All the goddamn time. I really have to be choosy with what games I play and buy and stuff like that. So, there you go. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. Another week. Another... Wait. Oh my god, this is it. This is the final batch of Harry Potter chapters. We've done it. We've done it. All seven books are being finally dropped in its entirety... With the final four chapters of book seven. The final four chapters, because it's an odd number. And god damn it. Or it's not it's not a number divisible by three. Let's put it that way. We've got chapter four, the four or chapter thirty-four, the forest again, chapter thirty five, King's Cross, Chapter 36, The Flaw in the Plan, and Chapter 37, Epilogue. We finally finished the book this week. And as I say in the epilogue, it has been a long journey and the ending of this book came about was actually kind of bittersweet. Um, despite my incredible rage of the stupidity of these characters throughout many of these chapters, the the end of the book definitely kind of struck me and went like, oh, it's finally over. I can now focus on Game of Thrones and with all of my energies and I'm going to miss Harry Potter because despite my hatred for it, there is no piece of literary media I know as well as Harry Potter. I've read these books countless times. I've listened to these audiobooks countless times. I've seen these movies countless times. Harry Potter is like, it's a big deal to me. So to be able to finish the the seven audiobooks is uh, is quite the um, the moment for me. 98 hours of audiobook stuff. It is about 30 hours less than the official Jim Dale readings, which was like 128 hours or something like that. And even with all my bullshit and guffing, I was a little confused as to why that might have been the case, why my chapters and my books were so much shorter than his were. And I believe the difference is the the speed in which we read these books is very different. You've got me, who is a fairly fast talker and a fairly fast reader, and I like to put some motion behind my my lines and my books and then you got jim dale who sounds more like this <clears throat> chapter two the vanishing glass harry awoke suddenly one fine thursday morning to the sound of his aunt rapping upon his bedroom door up get up she said now Harry awoke with a start. Like, it's that. It's a very slow, methodical, kind of very relaxing rendition of the books. And don't get me wrong, I love Jim Dale. He does a good job, but not to toot my own horn, but uh, I think my characters have a bit more emotion. I think my characters have a bit more going on. There's a bit more snap and crackle with my audiobooks. There's a bit more popping off each fucking eardrum. It's going places, you know? It's not all just kind of the same monotone delivery. There are rises and falls. My voice speeds up with excitement and slows down for when the acting really needs to get going. It's a bit more dynamic. There's a bit more going on. A bit more Keith Moon on the drums, you know. And the final highlight I wanted to bring your attention to with these books was the final creation I concocted for the replacement of Ronald Weasley. And his name is Leopold. And let's hear a little bit from old Leopold. (laughs) <laughs> said <laughs> to Harry. <laughs> no, I didn't, said to I had complete faith in you. <laughs> whispered to Harry. As together they lifted Albus' trunk and owl onto the train. <laughs> <laughs> Just a reminder, there will be no audiobook chapters next week we are taking the week off because of my trip to Amsterdam and because it's a nice break in between the series so it'll be kind of a nice palate cleanser we finished Harry Potter we can you know just consume that book and that can all just disappear down into our gullet and then we can get excited for a completely different story of Game of Thrones and due to the fact that the Game of Thrones chapters are so much shorter on average then Harry Potter chapters were Harry Potter chapters ended up being somewhere between 20 and 30 minutes. Game of Thrones chapters are somewhere in the neighborhood of like 10 minutes. Uh I will be uploading the chapters in batches of 5 instead of batches of 3 because we have a lot of ground to get through and Game of Thrones chapters are a lot shorter so it'll be a lot easier, you know. That's that's the game plan. That's the strategy we're going to be implementing moving forward. It will be in batches of five. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. Long time ago, about 15 years ago, a game came out called World of Fucking Warcraft and it blew everybody's goddamn dicks off. This game has recently released its classic vanilla version and I decided to give it a go. I never really played Warcraft when it first came out. I remember playing the trial when like Cataclysm was the thing. That's like the closest I ever got to original Warcraft. Um, But I decided since it didn't cost any extra, um, I re-upped my my shit for a month and I got into War Classic uh, the day after it launched um, because I didn't really know what was happening until I just opened up Blizzard and I was like, Wow Classic is available now and I was like, alright, I'll give that a whirl. I made the same type of character I currently main in like um, what is now being called uh, Warcraft Retail or WoW Retail um, which is a Night Elf Hunter. Uh, I even called her the same thing. So I loaded up with that character. I had the graphic settings to Classic and I just started to go. Um, Without having played Original Classic, I don't know how accurate it is to that experience. Um, As I've seen on the internet like uh, you know with like the raid bosses and stuff like that that people have already defeated since the, the release of Classic um, the experience was never going to be 100% the same because the knowledge of what vanilla is all about is already ex- already exists we know where everything is we know what all the bosses are we know the strategies to defeat them so people just kind of ran and gunned their way into it and did it no problem and they got people like me who I'm sitting there with like my bow going like, wait wait, 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 hold on. I have ammo? What the fuck is this? And it's like, go kill some boars. And I'm sitting there looking at the minimap going like, why isn't the minimap telling me where the boars are? Wait, you mean I actually have to go out and look for these fucking things? Holy shit. This game's completely different. And I actually kind of liked that. I think I preferred that. When you're playing WoW Retail, it's like you're being led on a journey, you know? You've got, you got your tour guide that's literally giving you a big gold arrow of where the fuck to go. And you have this little radius on your mini-map that tells you that your quest that you're doing right now is in this area. And if you have like eight quests activated, it's got that shit number listed for you. So you just go through like one to eight, you do them all, then you go back to the guy that gave you the eight quests and you turn them all in at once, right? It's all about maximizing your time and doing things efficiently in WoW retail. You know exactly what's going on, you know exactly where you're going, you know exactly what you're supposed to do You got that shit unlocked. Wow Classic, you get plunked into this world and it's like, here's your stick, here's a bow, here's 200 arrows, go. And then you gotta fucking figure shit out. You gotta know where the boars are. You gotta find the correct boars. If it says young baby boar, You got to kill a young baby boar. You can't just kill any old fucking boar. It's got to be the right kind of boar. Those enemies will not be highlighted to represent their specialty like they are in wow retail. You just got to fucking figure it out and attack them. And once you get the stuff, it's not going to tell you where the fuck the dude is that gave you the quest. You got to go back and find that shit. You got to remember where you're going. You got to pay attention. It's way more like, oh, I'm exploring this area. I'm an adventurer. I'm figuring this shit out for myself. That's what WoW Classic feels like. It's way more about you, you know? You are not just one face in a sea of hundreds of thousands of faces all destined to be the, quote, one great hero of Azeroth. They, they, only you can talk to Prince Anduin, you know? Only you can defeat the Horde, you know? It's not, that's what it feels like. It feels insincere in WoW Retail. But in this fucking thing, you're not some destined hero. You're just some bub shit. Nobody knows who the fuck you are. Nobody cares who the fuck you are. You're just some guy that might be able to help with just some problems and then as you become like oh this guy's really good at solving problems well here's some more complex problems here's a guy that's terrorizing a village go take care of him like it feels more folk hero to like country hero your your ascension to that feels more realistic instead of um in fucking legion where you just get kind of thrown against the burning legion and it's just like you're all only hope to defeat the evils of the space aliens or whatever the fuck. Um, but I, I did enjoy my time in WoW Classic. Probably going to play a little bit more. Um, what I really want to do is recreate my first um, WoW character, which was actually a dwarven hunter, not a night elf hunter. Uh, I forget what his name was, but I think I had a pet goat. I think. Maybe. I don't know. Are there pets? I think there are pets. It's been, yeah, there are pets. It's been It's been a long time. Since I played this kind of stuff, and it's, it is very different. And, like, money means something in WoW Classic. Like, I've got over 400,000 gold pieces in WoW retail and fucking nothing to spend it on. But in WoW Classic, it's like, oh, I've got 20 copper pieces? I minted. Let's get some new cotton shoes! You, you feel, you feel like what you're doing mattered in WoW Classic. It feels important. And now the question that is on everybody's mind... Is Are we going to see Wow Classic Burning Crusades Wow, Wrath of the Lich King Are they gonna re-release their expansions and Wow Classic and just keep it going or are they gonna have all these things like up Simultaneously, so if it's like if you want to play Wrath of the Lich King click this button There's Wrath of the Lich King you can play the expansions like as they came out Now if I was Blizzard, that's kind of where I would be going because to me right? If you can activate those servers and just have that as an option for people to play, I, I, I mean, I'm sure there's some reason why that's a bad idea that I'm not thinking about, but just kind of holistically, it sounds pretty nice to me. Um, and God, I like—I go back and play the old Pokemon games. Like, people want to relive those experiences, and I think I think there'd be market for it. I would be somewhat surprised if they decided to go down that route, but at the same time, I think if they did, they'd be making a smart decision when it comes to their play base. So, it will have to remain to be seen. But my experience with WoW Classic was good. I think it's worth it. Having not played the original, I feel like it really does capture that sort of feeling um, as much as I can tell. Um, all my friends I've been talking to who do play or did play WoW back then seem very pleased with it and... I mean, that's that's all you want, right? If they're happy with it and people are playing it, then mission accomplished, good job, well done. But you can go play WoW Classic right now, just subscribe to your normal WoW shit and install that stuff and boom, you're off to the races. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. So, we had the previous pleasure of watching the Dark Crystal movie in order to get hype For the brand new show, The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, I have seen a couple of episodes of this wonderful show and I'm here to tell you it's really damn good and you guys should all go out and watch it. It is not only just a good, like, Muppet show, and it is that, the puppeteering is top tier, the sets are incredible, it's just a really good fucking show. It's well written. It's well paced. The characters are amazing. The villains are fantastic. The music's really solid. It's a very, very well put together show. Not for kids. I would say over overall, like, you know, you could sit and see it and look like, Oh, you know, it's puppets, you know, Muppets. And that's always kid friendly. I'm not so sure. Um, a lot of the content in the, uh, in the show is of a darker persuasion. Definitely the kind of thing that'll like stick to your children's ribs and they'll remember this sort of stuff for a long time so if you want that for your child then by all means go for it but it's i I would say you know elementary school middle school is probably okay but like the real youngsters probably shouldn't shouldn't watch it um or if they do just you know have them cover their eyes at certain points and that whole that old tactic but the the cast is phenomenal And everything about the show so far is very well done. I love the way the Muppets look. I love the sets. I love the world building. I love the narration. All the cast is just superb. I could gush about this show forever. But since I haven't seen the entire thing, I don't want to really get into like plot-specific details because I don't know how it's going to go down. Um, I know a second season is on the way, so that's all well and good. But I just wanted to say real briefly that if you haven't seen it, it's definitely worth checking out and i would highly recommend watching the dark crystal age of resistance 10 episodes each one's an hour long you've got a lot of great muppet content here that you must check out especially if you're a dark crystal fan like you've probably already seen it if you're a big dark crystal fan but if you like muppets we're just really good fantasy television check out dark crystal age of resistance let's move on to the next thing in the podcast This week we've got two fantastic songs for you to plug into your ear holes whilst I'm gone traversing Europe and you need something to do. Oh, I'm just so sad, you know, my favorite podcaster is off on adventures and shit. And I I got I need some tunes. I got some tunes for you to listen to. Tune number one is Bad Outta Hell off of Bad Outta Hell by Meatloaf when he wrote Bad Outta Hell in 1977. Uh, to this day, may be the single greatest selling album of all time. I think it did surpass Thriller um, not that long ago. Could be outdated on that piece of information. Either way, it did tremendously well. And I have uh, several Meatloaf songs that I'm a very big fan of, and this is one of them. I think Bad Outta Hell is... And fantastic song I particularly love the sound of the reverb on the guitar In the very beginning of the song Where it sounds like it's screaming at you from the other end of an arena This amazing echo feel that it just Oh, it just sounds so good And it's a great song So here is my really stripped down cover version of it On the acoustic guitar Let's take a listen Oh baby,
1: you're the only thing in this whole world That's pure and good and right And wherever you are, wherever you go Life. Well, I gotta get out, I gotta break it on down before the final crack of the dawn. So we gotta make the most of a one night together when it's over, you know. Both be so alone. Like a am out of hell, I'll be gone when the morning comes. Oh, when the night is over, like a bad out of hell, I'll be gone, gone. Like a man in hell, I'll be gone when the morning comes But When the day is done and the sun goes down and the moon is shining through Then like a sinner before the gates of heaven I'll come crawling on i
0: I wanted to talk about this week comes to us as a cover from uh, Stan Rogers who wrote the original song called Northwest Passage covered by Unleash the Archers who released Northwest Passage as a like a single off of an EP they just dropped. Um, I think there's another song on that album as well but their Northwest Passage cover is pretty fucking good. It embraces the original whilst giving it their own spin and you can listen to both of these songs which you can find at Going Up Cast Song of the Week playlist on Goingcast.com. And if you have songs that you would like to suggest for Song of the Week, well, there's lots of ways you can let me know what those songs are. You can reach out at GoingCast at gmail.com using contact page at GoingUpCast.com, or commenting on any of the Facebook posts at Facebook.com forward slash GoingUpCast. up cast. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. Hello, hello,
1: hello, hello, everybody. It is I once again coming to you live
0: from the inside of my personal motorized vehicle Known as a Super Cross Truck. I uh, don't think I ever talked about what type of car I actually have But I am on my way back south to the lovely city of Seattle After leaving the even lovelier city of Bellingham So just a real quick recap of my weekend uh, I went to a wedding I was in the, uh, the bridal party as it were of, uh, of one of my dearest friends uh, Nathan from college We met freshman year And I was honored to be a part of his uh, His entourage for the ceremony And for the whole King Boodle uh, You would have heard about our Bachelor party adventures In the uh, in the previous episode of the Going Upcast And this weekend Was the was the official wedding and the official ceremony So I've been in a few weddings in, uh, in my time uh, A couple when I was very Very young and, uh, most recently up until now, um, I officiated my own brother's wedding, and that was a destination wedding in, uh, Walt Disney World, and it was a total blast, I had so much fun at that one. And, uh, this one, um, we got rented matching suits, we did photos, like, we, we had like a, a whole big old schedule of what was gonna go down this weekend, and, um, I had never experienced a wedding where... All these different things uh, were scheduled to happen throughout the course of the weekend, you know. Saturday, um, this past Saturday, was the rehearsal dinner. And I'm like, I don't, what does that even, what does that mean? Do we rehearse eating the food? I think I've got that figured out. Been around the block a couple of times. How hard could that be? Um, But no, there was more to it than that. We went through uh walking down the aisle we went through how to set up the bridal party and where the groom and the bride were going to stand we, we went through quite a few bit of the ceremony um at the rehearsal dinner and i am very thankful for it um, my natural walking speed is absurdly far too quick for for a wedding you want to go low and slow like pretty much the whole time you definitely—if like, you think you're going slow enough, you're not going slow enough. So you gotta slow down. Like, you really gotta let the moment extend in the wedding. So that was that was a good bit of advice for me to figure out uh, during the uh, during the rehearsal dinner part. And um, I stayed at this uh, this hotel in Bellingham um, called Oxford Suites, which was just—it was fine. Um, the continental breakfast in the morning blew, but you know the, the hotel was good. Um, they gave me a king size bed. The tub was enormous, so I fucking love that because uh, I do love me a big bathtub, uh, especially because I'm super uh, buff and swole nowadays. Uh, you know, I like to toot my own horn, but I looked good in the suit. Like, I cut I cut quite a figure in that suit. I can, I can say that with absolute confidence. I looked good in the suit. It's a good-looking suit. I'm still wearing bits of it now because I'm just like... You know, it's like I have a long drive. I have like a two-hour drive ahead of me to get back home tonight, and so I just took pieces of the suit off and just got in the car and just started to hit the road. So, uh, but before I uh, talk about the ceremony itself, I want to talk real briefly about why I love Bellingham so much. I came, I came up to Bellingham for college, and so Bellingham has a lot of great nostalgic memories for me. Um, Four years of my life. I lived in the city and it it's the biggest small town I've ever been in There's so much to do in this town um, Especially if you're not a student like the nature opportunities in Bellingham are almost unparalleled. There are incredible coves There's incredible hikes. There's huge mountains. The San Juan Islands are right fucking there. It's it's an incredible town it's unbelievably gorgeous, and it blows my mind. Like I felt, I fell in love with the city pretty much the instant I saw it. Because um, back when I was looking at colleges, I wanted to be a marine biologist, and I had looked at two colleges before Western, um, uh, Oregon State, and University of Oregon, and they both have wonderful um, marine biology programs. Some of the world, some world class programs at both of those universities, and I came up to Western. And what sold me on Western and Bellingham as a whole was the fact that it was on the water. Like, you can you can spit and you'll, the, the water's right there. And I'm not talking about lakes and shit, which there are plenty of in this area. I'm talking about the goddamn Strait of Juan de Fuca is right fucking there. You see ocean level waters every day you're in this place. And it's it's incredible. The, the sheer amount of delicious restaurants and bars if you've never visited Bellingham, it is probably my favorite city in all of Washington. Easily. There, there are so many fond memories. I fucking love Bellingham. And if I could find, you know, a work or something in this area, I would move back in a heartbeat. The current plan is to retire here because it's just, it's that wonderful. Like, I love this place. And so, um, I definitely went on some excursions. Uh... Late, uh, last night after the rehearsal dinner, I went down to the water uh, this morning. Before um, breakfast, I went down to the water. Like I did a little drive around to just remind myself of how amazing this town is. I hit my favorite bar, which is called Aslan Brewing. Um, and they've actually expanded operations to another location within Bellingham. Like a block, like just down the hill from it. It's ridiculous, so close. It's called the Aslan Depot, and it's got like huge wooden barrels along the side and giant leather couches and it's a very chill atmosphere and oh man I'm very happy that that company is doing well and growing and stuff like that and I uh, had a delicious meal there when I first got out to Bellingham because their burgers are out of this world um but it's it's a wonderful city and I'm I was so happy to come back for such a great reason you know not just for drinking weekend of debauchery and fun, which there was plenty of, I will, you know, full disclosure, booze was had, um, but to be a part of a, of a wedding like this, on this scale, over a hundred people went to this wedding, and, um, you know, we're all, we we got there at 10 o'clock when the venue opened, I was the first one there, um, there's, there were like some classic swings on the property, so I'm just sitting there swinging away, um, catering showed up, I met the, the groundskeeper, uh, who, like, lives on the property. His name was Ray. He was a lovely man. And, um, eventually, like, the rest of the groomsmen showed up, so I was like, alright, it's go time. We got 112 fucking chairs to set up. Let's get moving. And so we did that. And, um, catering set up the, the tables, and, um, the bridal party helped with the, the arrangements and all this other stuff. Like, you know, we're working. We're, we're, we got a lot of stuff to do and only a couple hours in which to get it done. And then, um, the whole thing was set up. Everybody's real pleased with our efforts, um, including us. We were very pleased with our efforts. Um, hung out with the uh, the groomsmen for a while, and then the uh, the groom showed up. We blindfolded his ass and threw him in a room so he didn't see the bride um, or anything else, basically. And um, oh gosh! And then uh, we were we were like looking at the schedule, and it was like from one to two o'clock. Put on suits and. We're all like scoffing, we need an hour to put on our suits? I don't think so. We needed the hour to put on our suits. There were so many fiddly bits to go with these fucking suits. Holy crap. So cufflinks for the shirt buttons, like not just on the cuffs, like on your shirt. I'd never
1: seen, why does my shirt need a cufflink? Why do I have four cufflinks for my shirt? Why Why is this a thing? If I wanted my buttons to be the shiny, why didn't I just get a shirt with shiny buttons? That blew my mind. And what's even worse is you were wearing a fucking tie and a vest, so nobody saw the shiny buttons. But we all wore shiny buttons. I'm still wearing the
0: fucking things. Anyway, so that was weird. And then we had like the pocket handkerchief thing, um, which I've never had on this suit before, but damn, that's a classic look. But none of us could figure out how to fold it properly. So we all just had like our own unique style. I just kind of stuffed mine in my pocket made the corners poke out. And I was like, yeah, that's good. That's fine. It looks good. And it was, oh man, it did honest to God feel like it took that hour because you know, people need to like rotate in and out And it was swelteringly hot in the changing room. Like we're constantly having to stop to like mop the sweat off our faces with toilet paper from the room next door. Like, oh my God. And, um, you know, I was kind of sitting there going like, Oh wait to put on the suit. Um, until later because I'm going to be sweltering in it. I think I was actually cooler in the suit than I was out of the suit. And I think it's because it was kind of a looser fitting clothing. And um, it was like layers, you know, that kind of insulation keeps the keeps the hot air out and the cool air in that kind of thing. Um, I couldn't be talking out of my ass, but honestly it did feel cooler once I got the suit on. And by this time I'm two Coronas deep because that's what we had. Um, we had limes, we had limes but no knives or cutting boards so we couldn't use the damn things so we're just drinking straight Corona which without a lime it's like what's the point you know why am I why am I consuming this beverage and we're we're hanging out in the suits um and then it's photo time and like you know I again I've been to weddings before but never on this scale never with a photographer never with this level of pomp and circumstance at least not in like as far as I can remember you know um, so it was a whole new experience for me, especially when I, like, I had to be in the photos as a member of the bridal party So, you know, working on getting that big old smile Constantly reminding people that they have to smile when they're walking down the aisle Because you do not want to look stone-faced Walking down the aisle It's a big happy ceremony Put a smile on your face, God damn it! Like, you know, you gotta, you gotta do this shit And so we did the photos People started showing up, you know the hundreds of people, not hundreds, but it was over a hundred people. And I started feeling really nervous because I'm like, you know, Oh God, I've got, I've got a thing to do. I got to walk down the aisle with bridesmaid. Like, Oh fuck. Um, I'm mildly buzzed. Like this is probably not great. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going like, this isn't even my wedding. Why the fuck am I so nervous? And, um, uh, my buddy, uh, Tucker was going like, well, you're nervous because you want to do well because it's you know it's Nathan's big day, and I'm like you're right. I was like, Phew. so definitely, definitely some like heavy breathing coming out of me. I was feeling a uh, feeling pretty pretty stressed about the whole thing, but I'll be damned. You know, we're all sitting there going like, what are we? Are, are people going to tell us like where to go? Are people going to tell us like when to go? I don't. Who the who's running this shit? Like I'm like. We didn't know what to do. We didn't know where to sit. We didn't know where to go. It was was a complete cluster. But when push came to shove and we were like, we're like there, you know, we're like there and we're ready and we just showed up in the right spot and the fucking bridesmaids show up and clean as butter, smooth as can be, we just fucking like, do you do the link arms and we walked down the aisle. Nobody tripped. Everybody was all smiles. Didn't even worry about it. We just nailed it and I was stunned it went off without a hitch like some people showed up a little late like the kegs the the beer showed up a little late still before the ceremony but like 20 minutes after they were supposed to be there and so we're all kind of like where's the beer at and so we you know we did the ceremony it was a good good long 30 minutes I would say like that's a good size ceremony just long enough that um your feet start to hurt from standing there, but not too long that you're like, oh my God, how many times do you have to say you guys love each other? We get it. You know, it was, it was a perfect, beautiful ceremony. They'd read their own vows. I almost cried. It was gorgeous. And then, uh, and then they walked back down the aisle. We'd get paired up with our bridesmaids again. We walk back down the aisle and everybody goes and buggers off to the, uh, the reception hall. while we uh, just hang out for photos. We do a bunch more photos. And then, uh, and then we go to the reception hall, and um, oh gosh, what happened then? Uh, beer, beer was had. We finally found the beer. Um, it was so funny story with the beer. Um, I had two two more beers after the corona, so I was four beers in. Over the, this is over the course of like six hours, all right? So I don't want anybody messaging me and being like, oh my God, you got so much beer. Don't worry about it, it's over the course of six hours. I drank like a gallon and a half of water in the remaining five hours. So it's all, it's everything's fine. But on the fifth beer, I brought it back to the table and this whole, the theme of this weekend was fucking hornets and wasps. Like we dealt with these little yellow buzzing bastards at the rehearsal dinner and at the wedding because you know they're both outdoors and so they were a problem. And one of these stupid ass fucking wasps fucking lands in my beer and just starts drowning and I'm just sitting there watching it being like, you stupid fucking bug. But I took that as a sign from God that I'm like, a fucking wasp just landed in my beer. I, I'm going to stop drinking. That's that's a good sign. You know, a lot of people would be like, oh man, you know, I just, I would have done it if I just, I was looking for a sign for, for, you know, for me to do this thing. And I'm like, boy, when those signs are clear, those signs are clear. Like, you just got to know what to look for fucking bug landing in your beer, a fucking dangerous one at that. Stop drinking. And so I did. I stopped drinking. I drank water after that. That was like five hours before, uh, before the end of the ceremony or before the end of the wedding, I guess. And, um, Oh God, we got the food, which was um, like a buffet style taco thing, which was delicious. Those are some tasty ass black beans. And, um, they uh, got up and did the speeches, which were very moving. I, um, I definitely felt feelings uh, with those, uh, with those speeches. Um, closest I came to crying wasn't during the ceremony, and it wasn't during the speeches. It was during the dances, the first dance, and then the dances with the parents. Both of those got me, got me almost, almost going real good. It was, it was super emotional. and It was beautiful. Oh man it was an incredible ceremony, hung out with some really good people, had some really good food, drank some really good beer, and just, just had an absolute blast, and then we sent them off on their merry way to a wonderful honeymoon down in a, down in the old islands of Hawaii, which is fucking so cool, wish, wish I was going, not on their honeymoon, but I've never been to Hawaii, so I would, uh, I would very much enjoy that trip, and, uh, and yeah, pretty much as soon as they were gone, I helped it with a couple of other things, but I knew I had to hit the road because it's a long drive and I've got a big day tomorrow of going to a, going to PAX. Very excited about it. It's going to be a, oh gosh, it's going to be a pretty full day. And tomorrow's my uh, my Sunday before, uh, before I go back to work. So, very full weekend. Very exciting. I am making good progress on my drive home and it's uh probably going to be home within the uh within the hour here so it was it was just so much fun um nathan doesn't listen to the podcast but i'm gonna fucking give him a little something here anyway because that's that's just kind of the mood i'm in i just want to wish nathan and his beautiful wife nicole just the best of luck in the years to come god knows we definitely sent you off with a bang this was, this was a flawless wedding. Everything happened the way it was supposed to happen. Nothing went amiss. It was top to bottom perfect. And you can't, you can't ask for better. You really can't. And anyway, now that the road is all rumbly and making me sound like shit, let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. This week, I wanted to talk about something that my friends did for me, which just meant the world to me. Um, I uh, had plans to meet a coworker for lunch on Sunday, and when I got there, they had like this this tier of four boxes of mini cupcakes, and I was like, "Why do they have bundled these mini cupcakes? Oh, we're taking them to lunch. All right, that's that's weird, but that's you know, that's fine. I'm not gonna." I'm not going to judge. And what turned out was it was a group of my coworkers. I believe there was about 10 of them all wearing pointed wizard hats there to celebrate the end of the Harry Potter audiobooks. So it was a little surprise party that they put together for me, which meant the absolute world to me. They gave me this adorable letter that I will now read to you all because it's very sweet. To a Mr. Andrew Lurgan, thank you for your support of our wizarding community. Your continued dedication to spoken word representation of our kind to the muggle masses befuddles us, especially considering the resentment of our novels that radiates from your electronic recordings. Nevertheless, we appreciate you. As a thank you for your continued service to wizardkind, you have officially been recognized as the best Hufflepuff of all time. Your name will echo throughout the history of wizardry, and every little wizard baby born from here on out will know your name. Thank you for being such a super cool dude. Yours would love every single wizard ever born ever." And it's got a little Hufflepuff uh, wax seal on it, and it's written on Hogwarts paper, and it's it's very sweet. And when I read that, I turned, to, um, I turned to my friends and I'm like, you guys know that Dwayne the Rock Johnson is a Hufflepuff, right? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, damn that's high praise i have now usurped uh the rock as the best hufflepuff of all time that is canon you can write that down and i want to thank all of you for listening to the going up cast because the continued support i get from from friends coworkers, and from all of you means the absolute world to me i am so happy that my books and my podcast have brought joy to so many people and i i'm gonna miss you all terribly next week when i get back from amsterdam we are going to be rocking and rolling with a brand new audiobook brand new episodes of the growing up cast and just in time for the best time of the year which is the fucking holiday season it's right around the corner we just got to get past this silly month of spooks and jukes and then we get into the fucking i was about to say can you feel the love tonight season but It's not a christmas song uh but the message stands thank you all very much for listening I hope you all have a wonderful week. Um, Stay strong. You know, listen to uh, the audiobooks in its entirety uh, while I'm gone, just to fill in the void, and I'll see you all in, uh, in two weeks. Have a good one, everyone.